Well, good evening. I'd say get out your Bibles, but uh, wow, I have a lot of verses that we're going to read tonight. And, and I'm going to skip a whole handful uh, just because, well, we'd like to leave here this evening, right? <laughs> so um, let's pray and we'll get started on uh, Christ died for our sins. Father, we thank you uh, for the information that we're going to be hearing this evening from your word. Uh, we pray that you might guide our understanding, uh, give us uh, wisdom, so that uh, we would be able to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, the Gospels have proved that Jesus is the Christ, the one that was told would come in the Old Testament. And now as we deal with his death for our sins, uh, that we might recognize uh, that portion of the gospel and then uh, go further to understand even more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so died for our sins according to the scriptures part two. You'll see the first uh, letter A is according to the scripture. Uh, If he's going to die for our sins according to the scripture, we probably ought to have a good understanding that this was foretold, and not just a little, uh, quite a bit. Notice, uh, number one, the Old Testament predictions of the death of Christ is second only to his first and second advents. In other words, the Old Testament tells us that there's going to be one that's coming. And there's going to be two parts that he's going to play. One is the suffering servant, and one is the reigning king. So we have a first and a second advent Uh, That wasn't as clear for some back in the day. Of course, since we've seen the first, it's clearer for us. But after those two prophecies, the next prophecy that is most common is the fact that he uh, would die. Uh, As far as the prophecies in the Old Testament dealing with, or even in the Gospels, and I include the Gospels because when does the New Covenant start? Remember this morning in our memorial service, in communion, this is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law. So the law goes until his resurrection, until the church starts. Uh, So the uh, Gospels, even though they're in our New Testament, are really Old Testament material talking about uh, what was necessary for it to change. So uh, these prophecies are divided into four parts. Number one, uh, major historical predictions. Uh, Psalm 22. I, I, I don't know if I should read the whole thing, but let me read some of it for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and am no man, and a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of my, uh, uh, out of uh, the womb. Uh, you made me trust while in my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my uh, God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. Uh, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me uh, with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my uh, bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. 
They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and my clothing, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And he, and he goes on. So you can see this is a, a major historical prediction. Uh, most likely David writing uh, 1,950 years B.C. And within this, we see several things that perfectly describe uh, the crucifixion. Then, of course, the other, another division is the major doctrinal uh, predictions. Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12 is a good example of that. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many, uh, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So they shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall uh, consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare this generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, uh, put, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him uh, with a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore our, uh, the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So within that passage, there's an awful lot to see, justification by faith, uh, the concept of substitutionary atonement. So therefore, major doctrinal predictions. And that brings us to various lesser predictions. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him who, uh, as one grieves for a firstborn. Chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? He will, then he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. So again, various lesser predictions. And then, of course, Christ's own predictions. And uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and take a look at those. Again, you can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's, you know, almost a dozen and a half of these uh, Christ's own predictions about his death, his crucifixion. So that brings us to letter B, Christ's sufferings in his death. Uh, The first thing we ought to understand is that there is a contrast between the crucifixion and the cross. When we say crucifixion, we're dealing more uh, from things uh, from man's perspective in the sense that men are the one that did it, but it was also the greatest of all crimes. Okay? That's the crucifixion. When we talk about the cross, we're looking at it more from God's perspective. It's the sign of God's redeeming grace. Now, let's understand, as we look up here, we have a cross hanging on the wall. Uh, There is nothing wrong with that. Um, It doesn't look anything like the cross that Jesus would have been on. It was a rough piece of timber. It would not have been comfortable to lean your bare skin against, especially after you'd been whipped. Everyone wants to say 39 times. Let's remember who whipped him. It was the Romans. It was not the Jews. The Jews were allowed to whip 40 times. They cut it down to 39 in case there was a miscount. The Romans had the ability to beat a man to an inch of his life. They knew how to do that. And that's why when you go to Isaiah 53 there, his visage was marred more than any other. Whenever you see a movie where you have the crucifixion of Christ, the the closest one that's gotten to what it probably looked like was uh, Jim... Cavizial, uh, in uh, The Passion of Christ uh, by Mel Gibson. Uh, That was the closest one, but chances are it was worse than that uh, because the the Romans were the ones that were beating him. Okay? Um, So uh, let's move on. Uh, Number two, who is responsible for Christ's suffering and his death? Well, First of all, when we talk about who we normally deal with the concept of human uh, responsibility. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28, Peter is speaking. He says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So within this, we're going to see Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. I threw a you on there because if you're born again, it was your sins that put Christ on that cross. You may not have been there, but he died for you. Amen? I sure hope you say amen to that. Uh, The next thing in Genesis 3.15, which I've already read, we see Satan is going to bruise his heel. Now, the bruising of the heel is not a mortal wound, but it says that he will bruise your head, which, of course, is a mortal wound. But Satan, of course, was behind uh, those humans that were responsible for putting him on that cross. And then, of course, uh, letter C, the divine responsibility. If we go back to verse 28 in Acts, Peter speaking in a prayer, talking to God, he says, uh, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, if anybody wants to try and, and release God for some of the responsibility of Christ dying on the cross for sins, they have to deal with that. Also, you'll notice all of these verses I have here. Genesis 22, 8, Psalm 22, 1, 15, 69, 20, Isaiah 53, 10, John 1, 29, John 3, 16, Acts 2, 23, 4, 28, and Romans 8, 32. Uh, Romans 8, 32, he... Uh, It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And again, I put all those verses there. I've got them here. I can read them for you. But the reality is, is this was part of God's plan. Uh, if we go to the book of Revelation, verse uh, chapter 13, verse 8, we see that Christ was crucified from before the foundations of the world. If you go back to this morning's message, uh, who was around before 
matter and time and space existed. Only God. And yet in his mind, the plan included the crucifixion in Christ of Christ in such a way that as far as God was concerned, it was a done deal to the point where he could say it happened before he even created. Okay? And then, of course, we have the Son. Well, in Psalm 22, verse 3, now i got to pull this one back up here. There we go. Whew. Okay, verse 3 says, uh, there's four, there's two, where's three? Isn't it great? Well, let me start at verse 2. I'm sure we'll find it in there someplace. Uh, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and uh, you are silent, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Uh, and he goes on in verse 6 to say that he is a worm, so I'm not exactly sure where I missed verse 3 there. But it goes on to say in uh, uh, Isaiah 53, 7, again, I have that right here. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So you see he is voluntarily involved in the process. Uh, Matthew 10, 28. Got to go to the next page. There we go. Uh, we see, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, obviously, he's not saying anything uh, about the crucifixion from our perspective, but he's trying to point out that that God has to be feared because God's the one that is actually involved in the judgment. Uh, Luke twenty three forty six, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Again, he's involved in the process. John ten eighteen. no one takes uh, my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5.25, husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself uh, for her. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Hebrews 10.7, then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And then 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Uh, whole point being is uh, Jesus has some responsibility in the crucifixion of Jesus. Not in the sense of doing it to himself, but in the sense of being willing to do it because the Father planned it and it was for a purpose. And that, of course, brings us to the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, one of the things that I, I say from time to time, I know some of you might be getting sick of hearing it, uh, but it, it is the example that Christ gives us. Christ did all that he did by the power of the Spirit. We sit there and say, well, he was God. No, no, no. He emptied himself of his non-communicable attributes. So although he was all-powerful, he didn't use his all-powerfulness. He depended on the power of the Spirit of God, just like we have to. And so he offers himself through the eternal Spirit. He's not up there saying, I can handle this. It's not a problem. No, he's in walking in dependence on God all the way through uh, this whole thing. So that brings us to number three, suffering at the hands of. Well, obviously, suffering at the hands of men, they inflicted pain, death. 
This is all physical. Now, you can talk about the psychological thing that goes on there. Uh, they blindfold them. They hit them with a stick. Prophesy to us who hit you. Put the crown of thorns on his head and uh, bow the knee. Oh, you're so wonderful and all that kind of stuff. You can talk about all the psychological stuff that goes on in there. Uh, Christ is not a snowflake. Okay? Did he suffer in all of that? Of course he did. Think about the garden. He knows what's coming. And he's praying, Lord, if there is any other way, but not my will, your will be done. It, It was psychological in the sense that in knowing what was coming, he also knew how he had to respond and so was willing to do so. Uh, So we can talk about uh, the suffering that men inflict, pain and death. But what about God? Well, for God, God makes Christ sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, God, made Him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Or as Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, one of the things I was hoping to do was talk about what Christ went through while he was on the cross for those three latter hours. The first three hours, he is the perfect sacrificial lamb. The second three hours, he's experiencing, well, let me see, what is the wages of sin? It's death. It is a separation from God. Now, I can't tell you what he experienced from the Word of God. And because I can't tell you from the Word of God, I can tell you that every commentary and every uh, systematic theology I'm looking at, they're not speaking too much about it either. All we can do at this point is consider some of the things that went on. So with that in mind, as he has made sin, God is holy and no man can stand before him. Can we, that is in the Word of God, right? You'll see that in one of the Psalms. And the whole point being is if now Christ has not only taken our sin, he has become sin on our behalf you'll see as we get down to the crucifixion and the four Gospels, it seems as though darkness covers the, the land around noon until three. And closer to three, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want you to catch something. Jesus never called God, God. He was in a relationship with him, and he said, My Father, your Father, our Father. He always called God Father. He's got that relationship thing going on. But here, he now he speaks as God the Judge. Why have you forsaken me? Again, I can't theologically explain that whole situation, but obviously he is suffering something that we can only imagine at that point. So not only did he make him sin, uh, uh, cause him to be sin for us, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've already read Isaiah 53, 6, 11, and 12. Uh, let me read a couple of verses here. Hebrews nine twenty eight, And it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. I uh, recently talked to my next-door neighbor. And I asked him, I said, oh, Dave, how old are you? And he goes, ah, about 78. Uh, I don't know if he's about 79 or about 78, but he's, I think he's 78 and a half or something like that. And, uh, and I, I, we've had lots of talks about politics and Second Amendment and chickens, whether or not you're allowed to have three or 18 and... He doesn't mind. He bought some eggs from me. <laughs> but uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about religion, but he really hasn't been open. And so I'm sitting there going, you know, 78, man. You know, the Bible says you got 70 years, 80 if you're strong. I go, 
So obviously you're a little bit strong. A um, couple years more. I mean, you might last for another 10, 15, 20, but let's say you'd go with the average. Well, you're already above the average, so obviously none of us are getting out of here alive, right? And with that in mind, what's going to happen to you when you go? Because, see, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And, of course, he grew up Catholic, and uh, we talked a little bit about that. And I said, well, you know, they got some things right, but they don't have everything right. Jesus died for all of our sins, all of our iniquities, not just for Adam's sin. And I went on and shared the gospel with him. Uh, not that he was very receptive, but he listened to it. So, uh, to lay on him the iniquity of us all. How about First Peter 2.24? Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I think I said this a couple weeks ago, and I've only... It's only become more of a foundational thought uh, as I've done some studying. We like the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Ask about any Christian why God should let them into heaven, and it's because Jesus died for my sins. And it's kind of like, so you got, you worship this dead guy, huh? Well, no, he rose again. You know, they normally get around to it. And I want you all to get, when we get there over the next couple of weeks, that's the important part, okay? Uh, because if all he does is die for sins, pays the wage of sin, in order to get to heaven, you have to be righteous. And paying your sins doesn't make you righteous. He rose again so that you would be justified, uh, Romans 4.25. But we see here in First uh, Peter that uh, he bore our sins in his own body. Again, don't know exactly how that all fits together, but having died, why? Not just so we could get into heaven, but that we might live for righteousness, which again, the resurrection and the coming Holy Spirit uh, is uh, important for all of that. So that brings us to number four, the crucifixion. After I printed off all the copies, I thought, this would have been great to put in a table. And you've got the event that happened. You've got the first column. This is Matthew. Then the second column, Mark. The third column, Luke. The fourth column, uh, John. And, of course, I already printed them off. It's kind of like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but as we go through this, uh, on the side, you're going to see some of them only have one passage. Some of them have three. Some have four. Okay, so where the Gospels talk about it, it's listed here. These are the events of the crucifixion. First of all, in getting the cross down to, or up to, I should say, uh, Golgotha, or the place of the skull, uh, a Cyrenian man was forced to carry the cross. Now, does anybody know where Cyrene is? Hmm? It's in Africa. Guess what color Simon probably was? Yeah. Uh, I saw a video here recently where uh, some woman was talking to some street preacher, and uh, an African boy steps in. He's in America, and uh, the girl says something about the white Europeans forcing their Christianity on him. And he said, you need to understand, Christianity was in Africa before it ever made it to Europe. It's kind of like, yes, boom. <laughs> uh, the reality is, is uh, we know from the Ethiopian eunuch that Christianity made its way into Africa within the, you know, 20, 30 years after Christ was crucified. And the reality is, is uh, many of the slaves that were sold into slavery by Muslims and by Africans who took on Islam as their religion uh, many of them wouldn't take on Islam as their religion and therefore were sold for, as slaves. Why wouldn't they? Obviously, some of them were just African. They were primitives. 
but some wouldn't because they were Christians. Uh, Africa has had a very strong role in Christian history. And why do I say that? Because once again, our postmodern society doesn't really understand anything about the race issues and the church. Okay? So uh, Simon of Cyrene uh, was probably uh, a black man from Africa. Letter B, uh, gave Christ pain reliever to drink, and yet he refused. This was a common practice. We're about to shove a couple of nails through your wrists, about so big around, and it's going to hurt. So we want to give you a little pain reliever, because even though we've beaten you to within an inch of your death, we don't want to be inhumane. I don't know, but he refuses that. You'll see that in uh, two of the Gospels, Matthew and Mark. Uh, Remember, Mark is probably the first Gospel written, and uh, the rest of them copied some of his information. Uh, Letter C, they divided his clothes by lot. That is in all four uh, Gospel passages. Uh, He's crucified at 9 a.m., Mark 15, 25. Mark's the only one who talks about that. Uh, I think it's the third hour of the day, the day beginning at 6 a.m. as far as the Romans were concerned. So he is on that cross from 9 until 3. Normal crucifixion takes three to five days to kill a person. It's a high Sabbath. So we're going to break their knees and try and get them in the ground before sunset. And, of course, that didn't happen uh, for Christ. Letter E, the sign of the crime above his head. Uh, again, we have this cross here. Uh, the reality is, is the cross was probably an upright post with about a 125-pound beam that sat on top of it. That's the part that was actually carried up to uh, Golgotha. Uh, and then the sign was tacked on the back of that uh, with coming up, and there was a sign over his head that said, this is what this person is guilty of. And that's where we get the T, because it was probably like this until you put that sign up there, okay? Um, But uh, none of that's really, really important, but there is a sign of his crime. And of course, uh, this is Jesus, uh, king of the Jews, um, that kind of a thing, and the Pharisees didn't like that. Well, you should change the sign to say, he said he was the king of the Jews, And Pilate, knowing that he had been manipulated into the situation, said, What I have written, I have written. In other words, go suck an egg. Okay? Uh, That brings us to letter F. He's crucified with and mocked by two criminals. Uh, It is interesting. Not all of the passages deal with the fact that he was mocked by those criminals. Uh, Some of the passages say that one mocked and one said, hey, we deserve this. But uh, some of the other ones say they both started with the mocking and then later on one of them kind of turned around. Uh, And so that's uh, one of those things. Letter G, top of the back side of the page. Christ prays for those that are crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, he could have been talking about uh, the uh, mockers, uh, uh, the Roman soldiers, the Jews. Uh, All of that is included within this. Uh, Letter H, Christ provides for his mother. We see in the Gospel of John that uh, he speaks to his mother. He says, woman, uh, behold your son. He wasn't saying, hey, look at me. He was basically passing responsibility for her care off to John. Uh, Behold your mother is what he says. So he's talking to John and Mary there at the cross. Uh, Now, remember, Jesus had four brothers. Why didn't he just trust one of those brothers to take care of his mom? Was that? They didn't believe yet. John believes. John's young. John will be able to take care of her. Uh, So all of those things come into play. And then, of course, uh, letter I, he is mocked by passers-by. They are wagging their head. Uh, They are uh, spitting on him. They're saying a variety of things. Uh, Letter J, he is mocked by the religious leaders. He trusted in God. uh, God delighted in him, so let God 
uh, take him off the cross, that kind of a thing. He's mocked by the soldiers. Interesting, that's only found in the book of Luke. Hmm. But it's there because, you know, it was part of their job to uh, pick on whoever they were uh, torturing. Uh, Letter L, darkness over the land from 12 until 3. So from noon until 3 o'clock, there's darkness over the land. Now, uh, some people say this is a sign of God's judgment, and, and I don't have a problem with that. But it's not that God has disappeared. God is now present in this judgment. Uh, I think that this may have been when he actually said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He may have said it towards the end. Uh, In all of the Gospels where it's talked about, it seems to be towards the end. Uh, Letter M, Christ cries out. Doesn't say what he says. Uh, Well, it does in some places. Uh, This is where he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, um, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Some people think that he actually quotes the whole uh, Psalm 22. I'm not sure about that. Uh, And again, uh, anyone's welcome to the perspective. I just don't know that you can prove it from Scripture. Uh, And of course, within that, there is confusion about Elijah. Uh, He's calling Elijah to come down and get him. And it's kind of like, well, no, he really wasn't. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, that's where here he is speaking probably in Aramaic, and they're either speakers of Greek or Hebrew. They're not understanding. They're just hearing Eloi. Okay, that must be Elijah, uh, that kind of a thing. Um, he cries out, I thirst. And again, this is only talked about in the Gospel of John. Um, if you've ever been in a situation where there's pain, and you know how when there's pain, your, your heartbeat increases, you begin to sweat, um, your mouth gets dry, okay? And because you're breathing more rapidly, I thirst is just, that's what was happening. He was thirsty. Letter P, uh, Christ shouts and gives up his spirit. Uh, this is probably where he is saying, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit, and it is finished. To Tetelestai. Letter Q, and I apparently have two Qs here, shame on me. Um, uh, first letter Q, his side is pierced with the spear, his legs are not broken. John's the only one that speaks to that. And again, it is an Old Testament prophecy uh, that uh, though all of his bones were looking up at him, I think it's in Psalm 37 that none of his bones would be broken. Okay? And then the second letter Q there, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom and there's an earthquake. Now, you need to understand a little bit about the veil here. The veil is a beautiful curtain. It is woven. It is approximately six inches thick. Okay? Now, why is that important? Well, this uh, upholstery that we have on our pews, it's not very thick. It is woven. And unless you found a, uh, a worn spot, it would be hard to just rip it. Okay? And then you need to understand that it is 15 feet tall. So if a man is going to rip it, he's going to be grabbing the bottom. It's ripped from the top to the bottom. This is obviously God saying, now the way into the Holy of Holies is open. We now have access. Hallelujah. Okay? Uh, So uh, that's important. There's also an earthquake, which brings about uh, letter R. There are saints that are raised from the dead and apparently walked around for a few days. Now, I don't know about you, but if people are raised from the dead and come over and ask for a glass of water here, and I know that person because maybe I buried them, I think I'm getting a little freaked out. (laughs) Now, it doesn't tell us what happened after that, but obviously when uh, Christ arose, he gave gifts to men and he took captivity captive. Well, where was that person? They were in Hades, the paradise side, like the thief on the cross. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. 
But now, when uh, a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, some people say, no, it's always been heaven. Okay, then explain he took captivity captive. They were captive. Now he's taken them to heaven. Now we go to heaven. Uh, that seems to be a little bit different than what David understood was going to happen to him. He was going to go down into Sheol. Sheol, obviously, is the Hebrew word for, uh, or the Aramaic word for grave. He wasn't talking about him going into the grave and sleeping there until the resurrection. He was talking about where his soul was going to go. So it was a holding tank of some sort uh, that he understood. And we see that in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The rich man and Lazarus both die. And Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom, or if you will, paradise. And uh, the rich man is on the other side of a great gulf that no one can pass. And he lifts up his eyes in torment. So these saints are raised from there. And when he uh, ascends, I imagine he takes them uh, with him. And that brings us to the value of Christ's suffering to the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, <clears throat> we have a word in the Bible called propitiation. Propitiation basically means satisfaction. When we consider what Christ has done, he has satisfied God's wrath towards our sin by taking our sin upon himself and suffering the wages of sin. So in uh, Romans 3.25, it says, "...whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood." through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So what is he saying here? He's saying, hey, remember that story about David and Bathsheba? I didn't give David what he deserved. I didn't hold that against him. I chastised him as a loving father would his son, got him to come to a place of repentance. But being a holy, just God, I can't let it go. It's got to be paid for. Well, Christ pays for it. So even though he had put up with it, tolerated it, didn't deal with it the way his holiness required, he was gracious and merciful. When Christ comes about, he pours it all out on him. Okay? So that, that's the idea there. And now God's wrath is satisfied. Okay, how about Hebrews 2.17? Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, or if you will, reconciliation for the sins of the people. So he is tempted in all points uh, this is what makes him a faithful high priest, yet without sin. But he also understands the draw. The, he's been tempted. He knows what we feel when we go through that. So when he's looking at David, he goes, yeah, I, I'm going to have to pay for that one because I understand why he went there. Okay, I don't know about you, but the Christian who thinks I would never do that is immature in their understanding of their own sinfulness. And we talked about the sinfulness last time. Don't really want to get on that. But I want you to understand, Christ understands. He understands the pull, okay? But, of course, he uh, did it all correctly. And then 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, there's this guy named John Calvin. And a lot of people... They call us Calvinists. Pastor has uh, said he doesn't like titles because that title comes with all kinds of baggage that may or may not be true. Uh, but when we deal with the concept of the tulip, total depravity, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, that's what the T-U-L-I-P stands for. When we get to the limited atonement, <clears throat> Sorry about that. <clears throat> I struggle with that one. And the reason why I struggle with that one is, first of all, 
Christ is a propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Not only that, in Second Peter, it says that there, in the end times that there's going to be false teachers that deny the Lord who bought them. How did he buy them if he only died for the elect? Now, I'm not saying he didn't only die for the elect. What I'm saying is I don't understand it. And no one's given me a convincing argument yet for me to buy into that one 100%. Uh, I do recognize that his death is only efficacious. It's only effective for those who believe. Okay? Uh, But these verses seem to indicate that it uh, takes care of a lot more. Excuse me. Chapter 4 of uh, 1 John, verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A few weeks back, I I made mention, uh, someone that I'm discipling was saying, I think I should be further along in my spiritual walk. Can I tell you something? I have said that. And, and, And I want you to understand something. I think more highly of me than I ought to. Okay, why do I say that? Because if I should be further along, then obviously it is within me to be further along. I'm a smart cookie, therefore I could be doing better. But you're not. Why aren't you? Because I may be smart, but I'm also a little lazy. Okay? And the thing is, is if I could have done something more, I would have. But I didn't because that's not who I is. Therefore, I am exactly where God wants me to be. Now, can I do something now to be further along down the road? Sure. Will I? If I repent of my laziness. You see what I'm saying? But God knows exactly what he's working with. And the reality is, is God loves us right here, right now. And he is the one that brings about the change in us, uh, not uh, we ourselves. Uh, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that satisfaction. So that's propitiation. The next word is redemption. This is, again, the value of Christ's suffering to God. Uh, he provides redemption. Uh, in Matthew twenty twenty eight. Uh, I read it earlier, and this, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. Now, why is this important? Christ redeems us so that God doesn't uh, kill the soul. Uh, Acts twenty twenty eight. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God among whom Uh, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he redeemed. Romans 3, 23 and 24, uh, And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ has paid the price that was necessary uh, for our sins. First John, uh, First Corinthians uh, 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? I should have put verse 20 there. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. Uh, how about uh, Ephesians 1, 7? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Colossians 1, 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9, 12, Not with the blood of goats and uh, calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Now, uh, why is this one so important? Once again, if salvation is just uh, a life insurance policy, or if you will, a fire insurance policy, and it's all about you going to heaven, and you can live any way you want here and now, then who's the owner of you? You are. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Then how are you to live? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> okay? Uh, the next word is reconciliation. Romans five ten through 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The concept of reconciliation is our relationship with God has been made right. Okay, there, there isn't that which uh, keeps conflict between the two of us. Things have been made right. We're now in that relationship. Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen and nineteen. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now notice once again, it's talking about the world. And again, some people want to classify the world as the elect. I can't go there yet. I haven't studied it enough. Uh, but it, again, teachers who deny the Lord who bought them, I, I, I just can't go there. Um, and then uh, Ephesians 2.16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, in this particular case, he's talking about both Jews and Gentiles uh, destroying the middle wall of partition, where now we're both one body, okay? And uh, we both worship God uh, equally and together. And then uh, Colossians 1, 20 through 22, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And of course, that brings us to uh, letter D. No condemnation for the believer. John 3.18, he who believes in him, in who? In Jesus Christ. And again, the concept is not intellectual assent. It's a recognition. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God that came to live the life that we can't live, that died the death that we deserve, that rose again so that we might enter into a relationship with God and finally be able to live the way we're supposed to. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is not trusting in Christ to take care of his sins, but somehow thinks that he, through religious activity, can come into a pleasing relationship with God. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Romans 8.1. If you have the King James Version, you're going to find my version a little short. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What happens when a person believes? The Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ. And they are sealed there until the day of redemption. And there is no condemnation for anyone who is in 
Christ Jesus. If you add the rest of the verse that you'll see in uh, the King James Version, you're going to see that your lack of condemnation is dependent upon how you walk, which has nothing to do with whether or not you're in Christ Jesus. Okay? Uh, it's a scribal error. It doesn't change anything. You'll see the same in verse 4, who does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay? Uh, because the one who walks according to the Spirit is saved and they're not living in sin as a way of life. Uh, 1 John 3, 9 says, If anyone is born of God, he does not commit sin. Well, the way it's written in the Greek, he does not continually live in a way of sin. Why? He can't, it says, because God's seed dwells in him. The person who claims to be a believer and is living in a, a, a way of sin, this is a way of life for them especially when they don't see anything wrong with it. They're not a believer. Now, if they don't see anything wrong with it and they're going through all kinds of hardship and trials, I might believe, ah, God's trying to get their attention. Okay? But the reality is, is I see people on TikTok, on social media, well, I'm a gay Christian. No, you're not. You may have leanings, because of the law of sin in your members. But if you're a born-again believer, you cannot live in that state. There is no condemnation for them that are in Christ. Why? Because they're new creatures. The old is gone. Everything's becoming new. It doesn't mean you're not going to deal with the temptation, the struggle, okay? Um, the way I was raised, every woman was a prospect, Okay? When I got saved, that didn't, my thinking didn't change that quickly. Okay? It took a period of time. So the temptation was always there. Thankfully, God's worked on that quite a bit. I'm not going to tell you it's all gone. I'm telling you that I'm living in victory in that area, but I don't want to get too haughty about that because I could easily go down that path. Ask any pastor who has. Okay? But again, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. And the last point, the last point, letter S there, I don't know how that got up there, down there from letter R up in the previous section. But it did. Sometimes I'm pushing that button on the little mouse and things get moved around. But uh, letter S is the last thing on the previous uh, list. The centurion confesses Christ, and you'll see that in three of the four Gospels. I was wondering, why did I put that there? And I just know what happened. It's kind of like having two cues up there. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's understand. The Old Testament talks more about this Christ that is going to die than just about everything else other than the fact that he's coming. One and two times. Okay? Uh, then we see he dies just according to the prophecies. So when Paul says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. We've already established that we're all sinners by birth, by nature. Uh, there's not a thing we can do to please God. And now Christ comes along, he lives the perfect life, and then he dies the death that we deserve. He becomes sin for us. He bears our sins. Which ones? All of them. Which makes an allowance for a change in our relationship with God. Uh, the list of four that I have here, we could have talked about being at peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. We could have talked about justification. And I'm going to hit that one next week when we deal with Rose again, or, or maybe the week after. Uh, but the reality is, is there's like 283 things that happen because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection when you believe. And if we were going to capture them all, it would take a few weeks. So I gave you four. <laughs> okay? Uh, and this is how God sees things. We've been reconciled. We've been redeemed. Uh, his wrath has been satisfied. There is no condemnation if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So... Uh, that's what his death brings for us.
We'll talk about the resurrection uh, next week, and and that's actually going to take a couple of weeks because uh, there's an importance to the resurrection that deals with our everyday Christian walk that uh, I I really believe we have to talk about uh, because otherwise it's just a fire escape from hell. Okay? Any questions, thoughts? Excellent. Clear as mud, right? Uh, Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we, uh, we do thank you. We recognize that we really haven't got into the meat of all that happened to Christ on that cross. We can only imagine how difficult it was for you and for him. We thank you that you're the one that initiated this whole plan, that he was willing to go through it, that in all of it, it was part of your plan, not only for us to have a relationship with you and ultimately have eternal life, but for you to be honored and glorified. And so tonight we do thank you, Lord, because uh, we recognize that truly, if any one of us were going to try and do this, we would not succeed. We would spend eternity under your wrath. So thank you for the forgiveness, the redemption, the satisfaction, uh, the lack of condemnation that has uh, been brought about because of his death on our behalf. In the name of uh, Jesus Christ, we thank you. Amen.